Hey y'all, Evan here. I've got a lot more of Vanishing Postcards coming at you this season, and I'm excited to share a new episode from out west next week. But today as a special treat, I'm honored to introduce you to a show I think you should know about called Sound of Our Town. Produced by the team behind Disgraceland, Sound of Our Town is hosted by award-winning indie musician Will Daly, and is born out of his mission to reaffirm how important live music is to our culture. In each episode, Will takes us from the boardwalks of Asbury Park to the biggest and smallest stages of L.A. while introducing us to historic venues and secret spots through tales that speak to the nomadic traveler in all of us. More than sharing information on where people can find, hear, and experience music today, through history and Will's transportive narration, the series explores how music shapes cities and reveals stories about place. And as I regret time, circumstance, and a myriad of factors kept me from driving the full length of 66 this season, I'm pleased to share with you Will's take on Chicago, a town that's not only rich with jazz and blues, but responsible for the Mother Road's very existence. If you like what you hear, you can find Sound of Our Town on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, here's Will Daly, and this is Sound of Our Town. His booth is still there. You can sit in it. The same spot where Al Capone sat to watch his money and his back at the same time. Like him, you can turn your head away from the door toward the stage where the jazz bands wailed, where they are still wailing now. Jump up from that seat, hop over the bar, slip past the B3 organ that is behind the bar, and there in the floor is a trap door, a quick escape for Scarface back in the day, into the arteries where the bootlegger highway flourished, keeping this city churning and buzzing with booze, music, and expansion. The best venues have a story, and these stories draw us in. That is why this show is here, and that's why our next stop, the city by the lake, is a gold mine when you dig down. I paint you a picture, but it never looks right Cause I filled in the shadows and I blacked out the light I sent you a postcard, it says Pulaski at night Greetings from Chicago, city of light Come back to Chicago, city of light Andrew Bird. Chicago doesn't care if you call it second city, it's not insecure This is the birthplace of Chicago jazz and blues and improv comedy and storefront theater of Midwestern indie rock and house music. Creative minds find space here to experiment and collaborate, with plenty of room to breathe, away from the pressure and the judgment of the coasts. And Chicago doesn't only take pride in its major artistic achievements. No city boasts more devoted audiences. Folks will uncomplainingly trudge through an ice storm in January to see a band they care about. It's a point of pride, an example of the kind of loyalty the city engenders. Chicagoans won't get all mushy on you about how they love their city, but to paraphrase author Nelson Algren, they love this place, the way you adore a lover with a broken nose. There may be lovelier lovelies, but never a lovely so real. The city sparkles on the shore of Lake Michigan, gleaming and grand, and there's a lot more here than meets the eye. It pays to take your time to dig down deep into this place. To me, it feels like the most American metropolis not out of some purity test of phony nationalistic measurements, but because of the equilibrium it strikes with what is above ground, driving the city now, and what is always brewing underground, destined to be driving it tomorrow. 
delivering sounds and artists that have rocketed to the moon and taken the world along with it, alongside those acts that remain by the soil, always ripe for discovery. Gifting us all with music like Cheap Trick, Liz Fair, Big Black, Beach Bunny, Urge Overkill, Wilco, Curtis Mayfield, The Smashing, Pumpkin, Great Tooth, Kanye West, Robbie Folks, Fallout Boy, Sticks, Varsity, Ministry, Earth, Wind and Fire, Shellac, Muddy Waters, Nat King Cole, Benny Goodman, Mavis Staples, Local H, Chance the Rap, Cheer Axe, Buddy Guy, Naked Raygun, Chaka Khan, Peg Boy, Junior Wells, OK Go, The Jesus List, Howlin' Wolf, Outline Trio, Juice World, Survive, Vaughn Freeman, Richard Marks, The Queers, Makaya McCraven, The Flat Five, The C&K, Common and Chicago. Duh. It's July 12th, 1979. We are in Comiskey Park where the struggling White Sox play baseball. A radio DJ with a cunning marketing sense is hosting a promotion for a doubleheader. Bring a disco record to the park and get in for 98 cents. The now classic music genre had taken over pop culture at the time its sexy sounds infiltrating all the way up to the Rolling Stones. Not everyone was grooving to these beats and the organizers of the promotion knew they had something because 70,000 people showed up to a ballpark that holds 45,000. After the first game of the doubleheader, they placed a giant box of the records near the center field wall and to the chant of disco sucks, blew it sky high. Records went flying and a giant plume of smoke took to the air. But it was the people who were ignited. A kid jumped into the field, stole second base, the actual base. He just took it and he started waving it around. The field was overrun. A riot ensued, an anti-disco riot. The White Sox had to forfeit the second game that day. America's pastime was thwarted by disco ire. It is now referred to as Disco Demolition Night. They tried to kill disco, except I still hear it all the time. A lot of feelings were hurt by disco, especially those of men who didn't know how to dance and they needed to wreck some shit. It must have been emotionally challenging to be a music lover in the late 1970s. And throughout history, you can place any type of genre or style in the role of get that new music off my lawn. The disdain for change is as old and way less fascinating than dirt. What is always fascinating, though, is that in trying to bury art, you accidentally fuel it and or give it the push it needs to mutate and drive you crazy in completely new ways. Because soon, underneath that Chicago architecture, a new sound would take hold from the ashes of that Comiskey fire. A more relentless four on the floor at 120 beats per minute plus. You stop one dance party and another forms in its place. House music. It's likely the genre's name came from a spot in the south side of town where DJs like Freddie Fingers and DJ Ron Hardy first started experimenting with the music to keep people dancing, cutting, speeding up, and remixing tracks at the warehouse. From there, it sprouted across town to a secret spot underneath one of the best rock clubs in the country that still proudly stands now in the shadows of another Chicago ballpark. House music right under the rioters' noses. And then, just like blues, jazz, and rock, it spread to the rest of the world. Now, the DJ enjoys rock star status. It's funny, because that is so punk rock. So much of what we love in music comes from beneath the second city, where dreamers are safe to build us all new ways to explore this wild ride. In this episode of Sound of Our Town, we are digging into that ground, that sweet home, Chicago. 
Sound of Our Town is a podcast about the music that shaped the city you're touching down in. It is also about finding, hearing, and understanding its best music happening right now. What sounds and places have shaped the city's culture and what new sounds continue to define it. It's about getting together in a room to listen and why that matters. So whether you're quickly dropping in or landing for a long stay in each episode of Sound of Our Town, I'll introduce you to the real places and sonic stories echoing in a particular town so that your travel is enriched with music. My name is Will Daly. I'm an independent artist and I've gotten around. I've lived my life in the music halls, iconic venues, dingy bars, coffee shops, and outdoor festivals. I've oscillated between being a struggling artist and a thriving artist, thanks to those who seek sounds in the night. Venturing out into the world, chasing that feeling that defines who we are and how we survive this life. And this is episode three of our Sonic Adventures. You just landed, and driving in from O'Hare took a lifetime. You need to unwind and attenuate to the flow of this metropolis. It helps if your first stop in Chicago for that first break or that first pint and that first sound is at one of those long-standing neighborhood bars, one with the classic tavern vibe that this city wears like it's fresh off the rack, where the ghosts of cigarettes past can still haunt your nostrils. A place where you can slump upon its curved wooden bar and be an invisible observer shielded by the embers of its burning red lighting. The California Clipper was established in 1937 and it fits perfectly in the 21st century. It has all the things I love about the town. It's peak Chicago, both leaning forward and backward in time with ease. The modest elevated stage at the end of the bar is in perfect sightline to the booths and the tables. Every sound warmly bouncing off the wooden floors that have absorbed sonic waves for almost a century. It is perfect for our purposes here as a first stop because it hosts a plethora of music that is American thanks to Chi-Town. Its newly renovated side room, the Little Clip, has a pair of Tannoy speakers, the same that Dark Side of the Moon was mixed on. Once again, making time a single event, not a linear line with forgotten eras. And the DJ nights here complete the connection to the legacy born out of Warehouse and Smart Bar above ground now but intimate and while it can be a listening room it's not quite like our next stop where back before the clipper existed being too chatty could get you hauled out and into the alleyway and minus a few teeth and we'll get there right after this We could spend a lifetime exploring live music in Chicago and barely become experts in its plethora of listening rooms, the spaces where music is the primary form of human communication. Martyrs, Montrose Saloon with three band bills almost every night, the Jazz Showcase, a listening room no matter where they move it. But the spot where we started our adventure in this episode is also perfect listening and perfectly Chicago. While the architectural landscape of Chicago continues to change both quickly and drastically over the years, you could walk into one jazz club in particular at 3 p.m. on any given afternoon and think you are still in the 1940s. Then, as the sun sets and people start arriving for the night's show, you notice the now, a sartorial spread of baseball caps and flapper shirts, business suits, and maiden t-shirts. 
All are welcome at the Green Mill Cocktail Lounge. The biggest names in jazz, both locally and internationally, continue to play here year after year on every night of the Gregorian calendar, and even some daytimes. One weekend a month, you can see and hear a band on Saturday night play till midnight. A different band after them play from midnight to 5 a.m. Watch the country's longest running poetry slam just a few hours later that Sunday afternoon, followed by an organ trio later that Sunday night in which the band plays behind the bar. That's about 15 hours of entertainment spread over just a day. And every one of those shows will be packed, be it scorching summer or dead of winter. It's a listening room like no other. But listening means different things to different people. Not everybody who comes here is a jazz fan. Some come just for the dark velvety ambiance. It is the perfect place to take that first date to show them you know the spots. Often these folks are less interested in listening than in talking. And for those unlucky few, you run the risk of a sometimes polite but always firm shushing. Shushing? Shushing. Fools are suffered here, but only to a point. And thankfully Al Capone is long gone. Something to do with taxes, I believe. But for diehard music fans, like Capone at his table dead center, it's a place you know you can go to every single night for a stiff drink and a solid set and jump out the front door to big concert halls like the Riviera and the Aragon Ballroom. Or, in the case of Capone, into that trap door to escape into the underground if you need to hide out. Ah uh, yes, the hideout. Sometimes the name alone tells you all you need to know about a venue. So when talking about Chicago's legendary club, The Hideout, a bar and venue nestled into a small two-story, 140-year-old boarding house turned local bar turned music venue, the name could not be more apt. It once sat isolated among a gigantic industrial zone for the city, an area which over the last decade has slowly but surely morphed into a developer's wet dream. High rises encroach and upscale markets and restaurants have settled into the neighborhood. The areas surrounding the hideout have changed so much that the club sticks out like a sore thumb, but for all the right reasons. In a city where the new motto seems to scream, new is king, the hideout yells, no, it's not. And it does this from its rickety front porch, saving us all from the sprawl. Yet when you walk inside, there's plenty of what's new to be heard. One look at their music listings tells you all you need to know about their modern, freeform mindset. Avant-garde jazz, country punk, a Valentine's Day makeout party, fundraisers for young political candidates, veggie bingo. Yes, you heard that right. Held aloft by the broad shoulders of activists for the arts, Tim and Kate Tutton. This hollowed shack has been home to Chicago legends both old and new. Mavis Staples, Wilco, Smashing Pumpkins, they've all played here. The venue no larger than your grandma's house, with a much better alcohol selection. The hideout was an incubator for the insurgent country and Americana movements. Robbie Foulkes, Nico Case, Andrew Bird, and many others honed their material here. And it continues to ensure that the focus remains on both new and classic music played by musicians young and old. It's on too many national and international best of lists to count, and with good reason. When you're at the hideout, you feel like you're at a friend's house, because you are. And I'm sorry, once again, I'm sending you all over one of the world's grandest cities. You must be starving. Now finding great food in Chicago isn't hard and I believe in you, but if you're lucky, the food comes to you when the venue gets a visit from Claudio, the tamale guy, simply yelling tamales as he walks through the bar. He's been selling his wife's homemade delicacies for decades at bars and venues all across the city. 
You just gotta believe that you will be lucky that night wherever you choose to see a show. Now, if you've been with me on our travels, you know that we always have to find the no-cover spot. In a lot of towns, it can end up being the most quintessential. Simon's Tavern sits in the heart of Andersonville, a historically Swedish neighborhood that is home to a large LGBTQ community, the legendary bookstore Women and Children First, and an extraordinary number of excellent places to eat in case you didn't score tamale. One of the oldest and most beloved bars in Chicago, Simon's is known for its blue and yellow neon sign of a fish holding a martini, as well as its faded deer hunting murals and the Swedish drink Glog, a winter holiday special that the owner mixes up in massive quantities in the basement. Go on a Sunday or Wednesday night for free music and you're likely to see a world-class band composed of musicians who have weekly gigs with Muka Pazza, Brian Wilson, NRBQ, or Poi Dog Pondering. The shabby speaker crammed into the tavern's corner sounds surprisingly good, and sometimes, a cozy dance floor breaks out. So you make it to town and you have one night, maybe two, and you want to get your face melted. Well, I'm sorry because the choices here can be very overwhelming. Lincoln Hall and Shuba's Tavern are both beloved venues with warm sounding rooms and a face melting roster of rock, jazz, and hip hop. Side note, Shuba's basement backstage room is notorious for the astonishing array of male genitalia drawings that adorn its walls, a veritable art installation. But the Pilsen neighborhood across the street from 606 Records where I snag all my house vinyl is my Chicago dream gig, Thalia Hall. It's a place I've never played, but a room for which I hold lustful feelings. The building was influenced by the Opera House in Prague, constructed in 1892 for three times the average cost at the time. Somebody clearly had face-melting in mind back then. Much respect. This historic landmark holds 600 to 900 music lovers with perfect views no matter where you are, all amongst magnificent burnt brass sheet metal and 130-year-old wood that has heard it all. I don't know if we give pause enough to all the people, creators, workers, and artisans that keep historic spaces alive. It brings added weight, or rather, amplified face melt. To let that all in when you are watching Cat Power, Cass McCombs, Stephen Marley, Madison Cunningham, or Broken Social Scene cradled in the ornate Thalia Hall. But the room I have both played in and had my face melted in multiple times makes music history regularly, and we've already technically been there on this journey. I like to imagine what it's like to be a bartender through all the years and the epicness. You get off the L train and you walk four blocks to your job. You make your way through the crowds at Wrigleyville. You get to work and as you walk up the double wide stairs to your bar, you can already hear Metallica sound checking. Turns out they wanted to return almost 40 years after their first show to test their metal in front of 1100. It's hard to tell if you're really connecting in front of 30,000 people at a festival. Hetfield knows this, that's why he seems a little on edge. He wants to leave no prisoners. You want to watch, but someone didn't cover the triple sec last night and the fruit flies are hammered. By the time you lift your head up, it's 2014 and the end of a Glenn Hansard show. Crowd didn't drink too much, too busy holding it together. You can't even tell if your heart is broke or expanding. You wipe down the bar and it's 2017 Arcade Fire Lollapalooza after party. Keep the car running, no problem for you. You've been standing for five hours. From the bar's drop ceiling at the back of the room, you can't even see Will Butler's head. Somebody orders a Schlitz. You turn back around to George Ezra's first headline show in the US in 2015. You had wanted the shift for OK Go two nights before, but whatever. 
You make your cash discovering who the hell he is alongside America that night. You blink and it's Husker Du in 1985. You better put your earplugs in. Lift your head up between making six Jack and Cokes and steal a glimpse of the stage. It's Radiohead 1996. Apparently they made a second album, but you are sure they're a one-hit wonder. It's time to pull up those soaked mats now and you're putting them back down again in 2009 for the Decemberists. You go home that night and start reading a book you won't finish before coming in to tap a keg for the Kings of Leon show. You could use somebody behind the bar to help sling blue ribbons to this unsatiated lot. Clean up the broken glass and get back up. It's Liz Fair 2018 still making you spill a drink or two. You marry the well lickers and it's Rage Against the Machine in 1993. Some of those that burn crosses. Certain that this song will put an end to all corruption and hypocrisy, you give away a few dozen free drinks. Blink and you're counting a mountain of dollar bills after two nights of Chance the Rapper. Blink and it's Blind Mel in 1995. This band is growing on you. Blink and it's Pedro the Lion, 10th of September 2001. A chill and lovely evening. Blink and it's Blur, 1993. You don't think you're long for this work. Blink and it's Blink 182 in 1997 and Blink and it's Blink 182 in 2017. What the hell is my age again? Focus on your job because it's suddenly 2022 and the Strokes are here to celebrate the 40th. Everyone you've ever met is hitting you up for tickets. You will never stop moving that night, and it's absolutely glorious. Next week, it's Idols, and after all these years, there's still something to look forward to. As you clean up after another decibel pounding show in its 40th year, your owner, the boss, the leader, comes up to the bar and asks if you had a good night. Joe Shanahan has cultivated the independent electric, lauded, and comfortably loud metro as a place you don't have to pass through, but a room you want to pass through. Listeners and artists alike. I just got back from a show there and I'm still floating. Your face will melt right off here. Just remember to tip your bartenders. And this is the building that is also the home of Smart Bar, where we started our adventures. Shanahan traversed the underground sounds of Chicago in the 1970s and felt it needed a champion. He opened Smart Bar as a dance club on the fourth floor of what was then called Stages in July of 1982. DJ Frankie Knuckles and Joe Smooth performed regularly. Joe began building a space for all the underground music throughout town and America. In August of 1982, Shanahan booked another underground sound from the then little-known band from Athens, Georgia, R.E.M. The show was a success, and Shanahan began booking the club's weekend slots, taking over the main floors of stages and changing the name to Metro. Smart Bar moved down to the basement where it still thrives today. When you walk down into Smart Bar now, the heart and spirit of house music is intact in this house of worship. The foundation of a building vertically integrated for Chicago as a music conduit to America and the world. And the Metro is the ideal location for opening up the calendar. Your time in Chicago needs planning. In July, an event that I will go into in more depth and detail in our next episode, there is hot stove cool music, combining the power of the ballpark across the street and the music of Chicago and Boston to raise funds for youth sports, music, and scholarship programs. It just so happens that the headliners are the likes of Smashing Pumpkins, Mavis Staples, Tom Morello, and Buddy Guy, to name a few. The other calendar event to watch out for at Metro is Sons of the Silent Age, a Bowie tribute band for charity featuring members of Morrissey, Revolting Cox, Ministry, and Garbage. Not always annual, which gives this event a special cicada allure if you 
you can align it with your calendar. And the Chicago Music Calendar is packed year-round, but it explodes with festivals in the summer. The biggest of the fests is Lollapalooza. Launched in the 90s by Perry Farrell, singer of Jane's Addiction, as a touring extravaganza. Lala has settled into an annual late July event in Grant Park with a jaw-dropping huge roster and a something-for-everyone vibe. Pitchfork falls a couple weeks before Lala, and though it has grown significantly since its launch in 2006, it maintains a more boutique and cutting-edge feel with an emphasis on alternative rock, hip-hop, electronic, and dance music. From Smart Bar to the world. For punk rockers young and old, Riot Fest in September specializes in punk and new wave artists and is known for hosting highly anticipated reunions for bands like The Replacements and The Misfits. And then there's Blues Fest. Since its inception in 1984, you can't name a significantly influential blues musician who hasn't played the Chicago Blues Festival. Yes, this city loves its blues. Staged on the grounds of the glorious Millennium Park, the always capacity crowd here eats up every note, much like they do the always popular gigantic and barbecue-soaked turkey legs here on sale every June. And of course, what starts in the dark and underground eventually finds the daylight. And why not experience the energy of house music in the city where it was born? The Chicago House Music Festival is a free multi-day celebration, showcasing the various sounds and styles in the month of May in Millennium Park. Afterward, you can bust into the many venues hosting after-party shows around town. I mean, Chicago has festivals all locked up. In every episode of Sound of Our Town, we are going to identify the Vatican of each city we visit and how and why music makes it so. For example, diehard fans of the Chicago Cubs lost their mind when in 1988 lights were permanently installed at venerable Wrigley Field in order to accommodate night games. What a lot of those people did not know, however, is that it was not the first time lights were brought into the second oldest existing ballpark in baseball. In 1922, while still known as Cubs Park, temporary lights were brought into the park's first ever concert, which featured an orchestra. Fast forward exactly 100 years later, and you will find not only permanent lights, but now a permanent summer concert schedule featuring some of the biggest names in music. The Police, The Lumineers, Lady Gaga, Chris Stapleton, Dead & Co, and Motley Crue. And yes, Wrigley and music go hand in hand, which makes perfect sense. Baseball is a musical sport. The grand pause of the pitcher just before he throws, the cymbal crash of the bat hitting ball into left field gap, the allegro of the runner legging out a triple with the orchestra of fans rising up underneath him, everyone in the park racing toward the finale as the coach waves his baton. And this doesn't take into account the myriad of other musical elements involved in a day at Wrigley. The anthem, the seventh inning stretch with the 40,000 voice chorus, the live organist, one of only a handful left in Major League Baseball. And finally, if Cub fans get their wish, the raising of the W flag set to Chicago legend Steve Goodman's Go Cubs Go blasting over the park's loudspeakers. Fans joyfully singing along as they walk out to Addison Street. So entwined are the Vatican of Chicago in music that even the always-in-demand hometown hero Dave Max Crawford has not only worked the outfield digital boards there and occasionally the DJ booth for years, but was also likely your bartender sometime in the last 30 years at the spot we just left, the Metro. And we still have our hidden gem, and Chicago is dripping with gems. Vibrant little venues like Constellation or Hungry Brain. Brilliantly curated record stores like Dusty Groove, Reckless, and Lori's Planet of Sound. I actually never buy records on the road because it's too much of a burden to cart them home, but 
damn it, Chicago gets me every time. When you're in a place that loves something so intensely, it is infectious and you want to take some of that home. But it's Dorian's in Wicker Park that is the very definition of a hidden gem. A small storefront simply called The Record Shop, featuring primo jazz, R&B, and blues records. Walk to the back of the shop and discover a discreet entryway leading to a secret swanky speakeasy in the back. Dorian's features live music most nights, including performances from Chicago jazz luminaries like George Freeman and Makai McRaven. It's not an ordinary bar and they don't serve ordinary drinks or food. Try a snazzy house cocktail like the Dear Darla. I'm not gonna pronounce the ingredients, it'll, it'll be awful. Or a gourmet cheese plate brought to you by Small Wisconsin Farms. If you're not already swooning over the music and cocktail, then maybe the Morel and Leek Monterey Jack will take you there. Now, after this episode, you might want to prepare for your trip a little bit more. You want to feel like you're already in Chicago? Reach for these two books. First, My Kind of Sound, The Secret History of Chicago Music by Steve Krakow, a collection of over 200 illustrated entries documenting deep cuts into this city's incredibly diverse music history. Second, The Devil in the White City, Murder, Magic and Madness at the Fair that Changed America by Eric Larkson. It is a page-turner that gives a sense of the city's depth, drama, and the eternal question of what is on the surface and what is lurking down below. Chicago has everything. It's peak America. The nation's fulcrum while the coastal duality seesaws back and forth, competing for our attention with sounds, arts, and culture. Meanwhile, Chicago stands firm and keeps warm the melting pot of all of us. It competes only with itself, singular in design, history, and completely diverse in its music. That makes it the perfect breeding ground for what we have yet to discover. The underground is real here, where it's a marketed term in New York and LA, vibrant, experimental, and fresh while firmly appreciating the roots that are graceful and forever. It feels obvious that blues, jazz, hip-hop, indie rock, and house music would all germinate here. When I'm playing in town, I feel like I'm accepted just for being an artist, for being myself. A place where a lauded radio DJ like Lynn Bremer goes out to see indie shows. The musicians come out to support the musicians. You can really try things out here first. There is room to breathe as an artist and the rooms to exhale in. It's a town that takes us somewhere and remains anchored, like a great band. And it's always ready to welcome those seeking that next great show or sound, both above ground and below. And one last thing. Art is America's greatest export, specifically music, a legacy and song that can give our grievances volume and guide our imbalances to equilibrium. It can etch love in stone and give a broken heart some super glue. And its brightest light has always come from our hidden pockets, pushed around by the teeming architecture above. So maybe you find yourself walking down the steps into Smart Bar, one evening underneath North Clark Street's bar hoppers and shot takers, deep where the baseball crowd noise does not reach. You are in another cathedral of creation, breaking up tracks, pummeling beats constructed to go along with your heart, it too drove that above ground world crazy before taking it over. A human practice older than the smoke-stained walls of the Green Mill or the Ivy in Wrigley Field. The underground wins and takes over the industry and takes over the world. 
It's always happening, right now, under our feet. You never know what you're walking over. You've been listening to Sound of Our Town. We're coming at you with 12 episodes this first season covering 10 different cities in all. And new episodes drop on Thursdays. If you want to chat about the music scene in your city, hit us up on Instagram at Double Elvis and at Will Daily Official. Or on Twitter at Double Elvis FM and at Will Daily. Sound of Our Town is a production of Double Elvis and iHeartRadio. The show is executive produced by Jake Brennan, Brady Sadler, and Carly Carioli for Double Elvis. Production assistant by Matt Tahaney and Matt Bowden. The show is created, written, hosted, and scored by me, Will Daly. Additional writing on this episode by Frida Lovesmith and Gerald Dowd. For sources, see the show notes. And a special thank you on this episode to Joe Shanahan and the foundation to be named later. Music for this episode was composed and performed by me, Will Daly. You can check out my music just by spelling my name correctly anywhere you listen to music. Just spell Daly with all the vowels, D-A-I-L-E-Y. I'm on Spotify, Apple, Bandcamp, and always at soundofourtownpod.com and willdaily.com. Okay. I'm off to the next town and the next show. I will see you out there. Thank you for your ears. 